one? <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing. Um, Sarah, how are you today? <laughs> okay, good. I was actually hoping you were recording that because I thought it was funny. Yes, I was recording. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Um, I didn't do a lot of my homework this week, but it's okay. Say lovey. Couldn't be me though. Not in school. How are you? I'm good. Been working. I'm a working woman. I don't have homework. I work. You are. You uh, are. I don't know. I feel like Dolly Parton would be proud of you. Working nine to five. Working One. nine thirty to six. What a way to make a living because I don't get paid for my thirty minute lunch break. It's so sad. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, capitalism. What can I say? Um. Well, speaking of uh ethical consumption under capitalism i guess what are you reading um i have actually been taking my own advice and i have been reading beauty by wow. robin mckinley yes because you may remember we recommended that yes it's a fall vibe and i am feeling the fall vibe it's a fall vibe yeah it's it's very relaxing so it's a good thing to read in bed because right now i don't have the capacity for like actual uh i don't have the the capacity to become acquainted with a new plot i can only reread so mm-hmm. what have you been reading i'm so glad you asked i've been reading um dragonfly girl i actually oh. don't remember who the author is at this time because i'm the worst and i haven't read it in a couple of days but um i was recently craving um so i read hank green's um duology of an absolutely yes. remarkable thing and a beautifully foolish endeavor um i read that like last year and i was like oh my gosh that was so good i haven't stopped thinking about it since it was really really good like science fiction but also like a good like social and political commentary that like i've never seen anything on that scale before and it was so so fun to read super well done just like the most satisfying book like ever um <clears throat> that was hank green's book Yes, and I've been craving that, and so then I found um, this book called Dragonfly Girl, which is kind of pretty similar. It's, like, a science fiction type thing. It's very steeped in the world of, like, academia and, like, not academia, but, like, it's written about science by someone who understands science really well. Which is rare. Which is so satisfying, too. It's just really... I don't know. It's, like, a lot of fun. The main character is likable. The setting is interesting. It's fast-paced. There's a lot going on already. Like, in the first... I'm so happy for you. I'm happy for me, too. This is a great find. I'm going to have to recommend the author. I'll put that in the show notes. But, like, um, yeah. No, it's super, super fun. I'm enjoying it a lot. Excellent. I want to hear how it goes. Yeah. I want to know if it ends well. I'm sure. I'm sure it will. And if okay. not, I'll be crushed. That's... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll never recover. For your sake, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. Today... We were talking about classics. Yes. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if you... I was like, is that too dumb for me to make just a transition by no, yeah. saying that we're talking about classics? But There's we no, are. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of classics and we could probably do this multiple times. But today we've chosen two that we liked and two that we didn't like or have mixed feelings about. Mm-hmm. And we've done this each. So I've picked yes. three total. Sarah's picked three total. There will be lots to choose from in this episode. And... You probably have heard about some of these books. So, yeah, hopefully. So, yeah, spoilers ahead. (laughs) Spoilers for classics? What? Yeah, so sorry if if we spoil books that have been around (laughs) for hundreds of years. Um, Do you want to 
talk about your first book? Sure, I can talk about my first book. Um, my first book, by the way, I went with a Halloween theme for all three of mine. Wow. I'm not sure if that's just because it's like I like reading things that work well with Halloween vibes or... I don't know. Maybe I was just feeling the spooky weekend feeling. I think yes and yes. Because you are a Halloween person. I love Halloween. It's so fun. Uh, okay, my first book is Frankenstein. Ooh. I read it recently. Um, I, I had remember. to do a school project on it for a general ed humanities class. It was the best. I loved it. Um, super, super fun, obviously. Um, if you don't know what happens... You think I should, like, I'll summarize real quick. Yeah, like, real quick rundown. Real quick I book jacket. hope that you've already seen this or read it or are familiar with the story. So, follows uh, this scientist guy, Victor Frankenstein, and his, like, super great life or whatever. And <laughs> he, no, he's, like, the little golden child. And he's, like, I'm yeah, so just, privileged. And yeah. it's, like, hmm. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, he goes to school and he becomes really obsessed with um the concept of like death and life and trying to like he gets so wrapped up in science and he like goes too far and it's like you're pushing the bounds of human existence whatever um and he harvests body parts from a graveyard figures out how to like infuse life into them creates this monster who and you know frankenstein the scientist guy is so so excited because he feels like he's created life and it's gonna be so beautiful and then he the monster opens his eyes and frankenstein like freaks out and then he lays in bed and doesn't get up for like two years or something like that no it's not two years but yeah also a surprising amount of frankenstein is of the book is just him laying in bed being like too (laughs) disgusted by what he's made (laughs) that happens like a few times throughout the book Anyway, um, he's very frail, I guess. Man, if only I could lay in bed every time I'm, like... I know. Well, he lays just... in bed for, like, months at a time. He's like, I'm too ill. Every time I cringe myself <laughs> out, I'll be like, I'm taking to my bed. <laughs> I'm not getting up for three months. Somebody nurse me back to health. <laughs> Until everyone's forgotten about the cringy thing that I just did. <laughs> you this summer. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, real quick background story. Uh, okay. Let me, let me tell you this. So, um, in April, on April 6th, I gave myself a really awful haircut <laughs> because I was going through it. Um, and then the next day I went roller skating and broke my leg right in half. <laughs> broke it really, really hard. Actually, uh, yeah. And then, <laughs> I was um, there. Sarah was there. Thank goodness you were there. Um, for, thanks for driving me to the hospital. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, so I had this horrible haircut, um, and I was in the hospital all night, and it was awful, and I was like, I'm so ugly in the hospital, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> but then, it was wonderful, because nobody saw my hideous haircut for, like, eight weeks until I had a chance to grow out when I could finally, like, walk around again, because I really didn't go out in public with my crutches, because it was just such a hassle, it was really hard. You took to your bed. I took to my bed. Anyway... Um, pro tip, if you give yourself a bad haircut, break a leg. Victor Frankenstein approves. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> All right. Uh, the things we can learn from classic literature is so important. These lessons are timeless. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So, anyway, the monster is, it learns like a child, but it learns very, very quickly. Where first it's like rudimentary, and then it, you know, becomes a very, very like advanced creature. Um, and it keeps, and then, but he feels this pain that, like, he's been rejected so much by his creator, um, Frankenstein. And so he vows to, like, destroy everything that Frankenstein loves. And so he, like, kills people one by one that Frankenstein is close to. Um, and it's, like, actually, it's so hard to, like, convey the nuance of this book if you haven't, like, read it. Because it's, like, there's so much back and forth of, like, the monster doesn't want to be a bad person, but he's, like 
committed to like killing people he realizes like halfway through killing people he's like i don't want to do this like i don't want to be this person but like too late i guess and then frankenstein's like i'm sorry like i should have anyway it's it ends very sadly and ambiguously and i think everybody dies at the end probably it's kind of implied um but it's actually it's so good it's such a good commentary and also very creepy of course mary shelley you are incredible i love you it's definitely from what i've heard because i have only started it but not finished it um it's definitely more nuanced than pop culture has treated it oh yeah the ending is the best part the ending is like mind-blowing yeah there's a lot of like back and forth and social and like should i should i not like yeah like it's franken and i mean it's also remarkable that frankenstein has become a a concept outside of the book you know everyone knows about frankenstein without Mm -hmm. knowing that it was a work of like a work of literature by Mm -hmm. a woman in the early 19th century you know i'm the fact that she created something that has been so enduring is kind of fascinating. Yeah, and and she wrote it as a contest um, between her husband Percy Bysshe Shelley. I don't know how to say his middle name. I don't know either. I was not an English major, which I'm very proud of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then also um, Lord Lord Byron, Byron, right? Yeah, and yeah. Um, they all kind of they both gave up, I believe, or like wrote something stupid, and she was like, eh, whatever. So she won the contest. Um, Anyway, but it's so good. It's so mind-blowing. Also, the concept of the creepiest part of the book, the concept of, like, harvesting body parts from, like, a graveyard and, like, somehow breathing life back into them and stopping the decay process and getting really into it, that was not a big part of the book, which I thought was actually, like, the most interesting part. Mm-hmm. Um, besides, like, the kind of, like, psychological elements towards the end. But anyway, super, super cool. I literally am obsessed. I would... I feel like I need to read it, like, once a year. That's one of the books that I... I would like to revisit like over and over and over. I need to read it. Clearly. I think you should. It did not take long. I will say it's easy read. Okay. Yeah, I definitely will. And yeah, anything for the daughter of Mary Wollstonecraft. Oh, love her. Yeah. She's a kind of a legend. Icons. Icons on icons. Well, my book is very connected. Similarly gothic and feminist. Wuthering Heights. Okay. You know, similar themes of dysfunctional families and digging up bodies and stuff. What? Did you... (laughs) I didn't know that. Oh. Um, I have never read Wuthering Heights. Okay, so so Wuthering Heights... People think that it's a a romance. Okay. It is not. It has... I mean, it's maybe a romance in broader genre. It's a romance in that it has a very tragic love story at the center of it. But... People put the central couple, Heathcliff and Catherine, on a pedestal of, like, you know, classic romantic pairings in literature. Mm-hmm. But I I really don't think that the point of the story is for their romance to be seen as, as, as admirable mm. or compelling in a way that isn't instructive. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'll get into that later. But I'm excited. So, it's about... Uh, two, it's a so first of all, this is an interesting similarity between Frankenstein and Wuthering Heights. They're both stories told by other people mm-hmm. who didn't yeah. experience them, right? Because yeah. Frankenstein is told by a random sea captain man, yeah, who in yes. letters to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, Wuthering Heights is told by a random visitor to the house who writes down the 
reminiscences of a servant in the house who witnessed everything. Yeah, that's basically what Frankenstein is. That's such an interesting storytelling method. I, I really like, like it. it. Yeah. I, where did that go? It's, I know, it's lost. I like the distance. Bring it back. I like the fact that then the narrator can insert themselves through this, mm-hmm. like, false narrator. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so this man goes to the these two this house on the moors in Yorkshire, mm-hmm. and he encounters this creepy man named Heathcliff, and then, you know, flashback to his youth. Heathcliff is, like, this orphan taken in by a Mr. Earnshaw. Mr. Earnshaw has two other kids, Kathy and someone else who I can't remember. Mm-hmm. He's a mean son who, like tortures Heathcliff Heathcliff is like described as like dark and like foreign looking mm-hmm. so there's interesting <laughs> like racial vibes going on yeah. and then a romance ensues between Kathy Catherine and Heathcliff but in the end Catherine's too spineless she rejects Heathcliff and marries uh why is she spineless can you clarify she just like feels like it wouldn't be good if they ended up together and she also is like very interested in the wealth that like this match with another man presents could provide for her like the wealth and security because Heathcliff is like unhinged like he's just crazy and because he's been Edward Cullen vibes yeah I actually we can get to that because it's it, it influenced Stephanie Meyer like a lot but um I mean, Heathcliff is a victim of abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, he it comes from unknown origins as an orphan, so he probably did not have a good upbringing before he arrived at Wuthering Heights. Mm-hmm. And then he is, like, routinely beaten by his adoptive brother and treated as a servant. Mm-hmm. So, like, Heathcliff is a victim of abuse. He perpetuates that abuse by, like, being terrible to everyone. Mm-hmm. But him and Catherine have this bond. But then in the end, she marries someone else. He marries the sister of the guy that Catherine marries mm-hmm. out of spite. And then, I don't know, like, Catherine dies, in, like, after she has a baby, and, like, Heathcliff and his wife have a child, and there's just all this drama that ensues. But basically, like, in the end, it's kind after... There's just a lot of, like, people doing terrible things to each other, like, threatening to throw their baby off the banister, or, like, oh, no. being like, I love, like, your wife actually loved me, and, like, or mm. make forcing your child to stay with you even though you're a creepy, abusive father. Like, there's just a lot of bad stuff that happens. Yeah. But in the end, the resolution is that Heathcliff, after living, like, kind of a terrible life, making everyone miserable, confesses that after Catherine died, he dug up her body to embrace her. <laughs> And then, like, like, and then he, her ghost has haunted him, and wow. then, like, he dies. And they, like, are rumored to roam the moors together. But the ending is actually kind of touching in an incestuous way, because... What? So, sorry. Wow. <laughs> so, um, the child of Heathcliff and, and this woman, and then of Catherine and her husband, but like those, their spouses were siblings. Mm-hmm. Th- those children get married. They're cousins. Okay. But it's kind of like in the end, Heathcliff's un, or he like the, ne- anyways, it's a whole thing, but, or I can't remember. No. And then someone else gets married. There's like a bunch of weddings <laughs> yeah, at the end. Yeah. They're all, all the cousins get married, but like in the end, Wuthering Heights is abandoned. And, the the next generation they're like reading together and enjoying each other's company and they've clearly 
to me, it's a story about breaking a cycle of abuse. <gasps> Healing intergenerational trauma. It really is because, wow. yeah, that's what, like, that's what I think the story is about is that mm-hmm. in the end, the, the young people of the family, you know, the man who's narrating it returns a year after he was originally there and sees that the family has started healing. Heathcliff is dead and now they can start to have a healthy family again. Oh, And so it's really creepy and people see the resolution as that Heathcliff dies and wanders the moors with Catherine. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that's actually the resolution. And part of the reason I think this is because Emily Bronte... She was a recluse, mm-hmm. but a really interesting person. And she based Heathcliff probably on her brother Bramwell. Bram? Mm, I wrote down his name. Uh, You're so thorough. Good job. Yeah, Bramwell. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was an alcoholic and an opium addict. And, like, made the, the lives of his family miserable. Mm-hmm. And they loved him deeply. And he was a really interesting... He was also a writer and a really interesting person. Mm-hmm. But he made, like, he... His actions... I mean, like, his actions are part of the reason why the daughters felt compelled to start writing to support themselves. Because mm. Bramwell made it so hard for them to, like, live comfortably. Yeah. And so, I think that she had seen these cycles of abuse where her brother Bramwell was so was so difficult mm-hmm. for the siblings. And clearly did not treat them well because, you know, he was right. an addict. And so... I think that Emily Bronte was writing about things that she had witnessed Mm. and what she had witnessed wasn't romance. She was never, you know, she was never married. She never had any sort of like romance that we know of, but she did experience this kind of, of uncomfortable family situation that Mm -hmm. she portrays in the book. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's Wuthering Heights. It's, it's really creepy. The setting is the most distinct thing because it's on the moors. Right. You know, ghosts wandering the moors. Yes, I've never read it. Even yeah, I know that. but yes, you. But even you know that. So um, all the weathering. Yes, all the weathering. Like weathering heights. Just the name of it is evocative. Yeah, you know, you can just imagine it. You can just imagine catching consumption. Sounds. Uh, like there's a... also a lot of taking to your to your bed in uh. Uh, in weathering heights. Catherine, you know, is wiped out by her childbirth, <laughs> and so she just. Well, that's, like, a physical thing. No, I know, but then, like, you I'm know, talking about, like, seeing something so ugly that you have to lay down for three months. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. At Victor Frankenstein. <laughs> um, yeah, anyways, so the, this gothic aesthetic that Mary Shelley kind of elevated, like, because it, you, I think, you know, the, like, the gothic, gothic literature existed in the 18th century, but it was, like, ridiculed, and then I think Mary Shelley was, like, guess what, I'm about to blow your minds, and then Emily mm-hmm. Bronte was, like, I'm also about to blow your minds. Yeah. I just, I appreciate gothic feminism. What's here for the ladies? Also, I just think, I think that Wuthering Heights is, like, one of the darkest, it's one of the darkest books that I've read, not mm-hmm. because of the, like, ghosts and bodies and stuff, but because of, like, how raw the abuse in the family is. Yeah. It's just like, you just feel kind of nasty when you read about their actions towards each other and Mm -hmm. the way that they treat each other. And I don't know. Also like Frankenstein is really dark. Mm -hmm. Obviously I haven't read it, but like the subject matter is dark. And I just like that it was women who wrote these, like these harrowing, deeply disturbing tales of human nature. If men wrote that, I'd be like, this is gross. Why? But also, I don't think <laughs> that men would have the capacity to write something so human and so dark. 
I think in the way that, rare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that women, because like, like women have like pain built in and they witness things in di- different ways, especially in this era. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I just, I just, the, the Joker movie. I just have you ever like seen the women. Joker movie, Sarah? I just, I think that that is maybe on par with Frankenstein. <laughs> uh, whether had, um, by the way, that was a joke. Yeah. Please don't take me seriously. If you didn't catch on. Anyway. Anyways, what's your what's your next book? Any other questions at Wuthering Heights? Um, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> many, many. I'm sure I'll just, I think I just We all have questions. It. I have a lot. Um, I, I recommend it. Good. Um, I think that I think that would be a good one for me to read. Um Okay, I'm actually gonna cut to the one that I don't like so we can end on a positive. Um, so the one that I don't like is Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis. Oh, I heard about your I hate it. I don't like it at all. Okay, but side note, you read this in junior high, and I thought you were reading Animorphs. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, what the heck? Like, you know, there was That was the first yes. thing that you saw in the children's section of the library, is all the Animorph books. With the holographic in their, covers. Yeah, and, yeah, in their... Oh, so they're so disturbing in all their glory. <laughs> so yeah, you were like, I'm reading the Metamorphosis, and I was like, Ugh. yeah, no, I spent a really long time in my English class reading this. That's so funny that you thought yeah. Metamorphosis. Anyways, no, I read it with a teacher that I did not like in ninth grade English class, which was maybe part of the problem. But um, actually, the main problem is the book sucks. Um, and <laughs> take that, Franz. I just don't like it. I was. I was mad that we spent way too much time on it. We spent like two months reading this book. It's like that's a sixty. W- that's way too long for any book. No, and technically it's like a novella. Like it's very short. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm sorry. I could read this in two hours. Let's get it over with. Um. Anyway, I was not. Um. I probably wasn't an easy kid to have in English class in middle school. But also, in my defense, I did not like it. <laughs> but also, you. I mean, if a teacher was good, you were there. You could have been their pet. You know, like yeah. I mean, in okay. an English class. I'm sure that I was a very annoying child. In fact, I know I was an annoying child. But <laughs> uh, we're still friends, so I yeah, couldn't have been that bad. We made it. Um. Anyway, so if you don't know the story, lucky you. But this guy <laughs> wakes up. <laughs> And he's like, wow, can't wait to go to my super sad life in my factory job that I don't even like. And then he wakes up, but he's actually a bug, like a human-sized bug. And it sounds like a horrible, like... It's monsters versus aliens. What? <laughs> there's, a, there's a cockroach man. Oh, right. Wow, love the literary references. Monsters versus aliens. Everything comes back to monsters versus aliens. It is a work of art. That's what they say. It's the monsters versus aliens rule. It's a classic. Everyone knows that. <laughs> anyway, okay. So he's a human sized bug. And you may be asking why. And that's actually the perfect question to ask because there is a term in literature now called Kafka esque, which is like. Yes, I've read that and never know what it means. Yes, it just means that it's like stupid and depressing and sad for its own sake, like to be stupid and depressing and sad. Because uh-huh. like it's so absurdist and like. If you saw somebody on the street or whatever that was like wearing a black turtleneck and a beanie and like smoking a cigarette and like looking pretentious, you would they if they would come up to you and be like, "Man, wouldn't it be crazy if like one day you just like woke up and like were a human-sized bug and had to stay locked in your room for like the rest of your life and your parents didn't like you anymore?" Like that's what that is. So such valuable discourse. <laughs> that's what the book is and 
It's interesting, kind of, but also, as you can imagine, not a lot happens because he is a bug, and he stays locked in his room for the entirety of the book. I think he tries to come out, like, one time, and his parents' friends, like, scream at him because he's an ugly human-sized bug. Once again, if I have not made that clear, he is a human-sized bug. Um, Yeah, I would also (laughs) scream. It's pretty interesting in that, like... It's fun to think about, hmm, what if I woke up and I was a bug? But after about a couple of, you know, pages of reading that, you're like, I get the point. Case closed. I would be sad. (laughs) I would be sad. And that's kind of the point. So anyway, um, would not recommend, but also maybe I would recommend if you're looking for like sort of a dark laugh, but what was the, what was the value of this? What, that your teachers, why did your teacher think it would be valuable for ninth graders to spend so much time thinking about this book? Um, probably because she didn't like us and she wanted us to, like, consider our own mortality and the possibility that one day we could wake up as a bug. I don't think... Okay, also, here's another thing. If I had learned about the metamorphosis like I learned about it in college, I, you know, I've revisited it in college Mm -hmm. a few times. I was... Okay, I was an English minor, so I guess I can't escape fully, but we talked about it in college and it was a little bit more interesting to me that way because it was, like, we were coming at it from, like, a more informed perspective and, like, it was, like, in the context of, like... American literature and, like, the history and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was more interesting. But just coming at it as, like, this is a classic and you have to like it and we're going to read about it because it's a classic was so dumb. Never effective. Also... It was dumb. And also, I was like, I'm sorry, this does not read, like, the other classics I've read, like, Animal Farm and The Secret Garden and, like, um, Shakespeare. Like, it doesn't read, like, any of those. So I was really struggling to, like, find the value in it. But if I yeah. knew that it was completely valueless for the sake of being valueless i maybe would have liked it more yeah rather than trying to eke out a little bit of the message for your ninth grade self yep i mean i feel like as a ninth grader (laughs) you wake up every morning and you're like i feel like a giant bug (laughs) so maybe that's the message and you're like i can never leave my room because i'm so ugly and if anyone looks at me i'll die so kaka really was just capturing adolescence maybe that was his commentary Oh, man. Anyway. New analysis alert. I guess we have a running theme of taking to your room and never leaving because you're sad. <laughs> yeah. I, I Again, what that I could. <laughs> um, should I do mine that I hate? Yeah, please. I don't actually hate it. I don't know why I said that. So We, milk, we, milk, we welcome I mixed have, feelings I here. have mixed feelings about it. Honestly, Wuthering Heights I also have mixed feelings about because yeah. I think that the way that it is discussed is not how I perceived it when i read it anyways well, i hope you have mixed feelings because you're a smart yes. person thank you um okay the crucible <gasps> no this is oh! i like it i really like it but the way that it was taught was so frustrating to me okay that so i experienced the crucible in a couple different ways in 11th grade we were reading it in my english class but we also were like reading it at slash watching it for my drama class right and i liked it in my drama class i was yes. really I was really into it, but I hated it in my English class Mm -hmm. because first of all, I think that it's a compelling story for its own sake, not just because it's like a metaphor for McCarthyism. Mm -hmm. Like John Mm -hmm. Proctor is a very beautiful, beautifully flawed main character. He's a DILF. You could say he is a DILF. Um, We will be getting to (laughs) Richard Armitage's portrayal of him (laughs) eventually, but, um, but no, like he's John Proctor is actually, you know, he's a very flawed but moral individual mm-hmm. and you feel for him when he's caught up in this hysteria and 
you know, the ending is tragic, but it's, like, cathartic in, like, the Greek play sense where it's, like, mm-hmm. oh, this tragedy makes me feel something about mankind or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's my yeah. favorite. I love yeah, it. it's real catharsis. But the way that we discussed it in my English class was as if it were a dramatization of the actual historical events. that ha- mm. And we took it, we used it to talk about the histor- history of the Salem Witch Trials. Which, first of all, there's so much dumb historical speculation about the Salem Witch Trials. And people don't ask the questions that they should actually be asking. They're like... Mm. They're like, oh, like, why was, why were they crazy? Why was the, like, was it the grain? Was it like the, his- mm-hmm. the like, was it the, was it the Native American attacks or whatever? Which, like, interesting. But, like, more interesting is, like, how was this allowed to happen? I was reading about it today. So, like, 19 people were executed in the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah. Only 14 other people had been executed in Massachusetts and Connecticut for witchcraft in that same century. Wow. So, this was, like, crazy. And I could get into the history of this and how, like, the fact that, like, I don't know, the Massachusetts Charter had been revoked for a little bit before this. Like, there was, like, political chaos. There were a lot of factors. You know, history major here. But, <laughs> but like, the point of the Crucible is not to get into the nitty-gritty of the history of, of the Salem Witch Trials. Right. I could see why that context would be frustrating. And so it was fun. It was supposed to be, like, a fun Halloween unit, but we ended up being, like, oh, like, what was, like, I don't know, what were the pilgrims thinking, you know? Yeah. And that's, like, not valuable. And I think it's probably partially because the real message of it is, hey, America hasn't changed. We're still persecuting people who are actually, like, the best among us or whatever Mm -hmm. because, you know, they were, like, trying to target communists in the Mm -hmm. 1950s. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in a Utah school, how are you going to talk about, like, the corruption of, like, (laughs) <laughs> of post-war conservatism conservatism like that yeah. is like what this our state is built on mm-hmm. so i mean how are you going to talk about like is communism actually that bad with like students in a, like 11th grade english class in, in a very conservative yeah. community yeah and so the message of of like the crucible is supposed to be like hey our society is like still hypocritical like this mm-hmm. we're still the worst it's kind of creepy and I, again, I think the story is valuable for its own sake, but just the way it was taught, we totally overlooked the whole like context in which Arthur Miller, Miller wrote it. Mm-hmm. So that's my thought about The Crucible. I like it as a story, and I think it's really compelling. Oh, I love it. And I keep saying that, but just the way that it was taught was frustrating for me. I could see that. I absolutely love it. I'm a psychology major, as we know. I Actually, I have a degree in psychology. Let's say it that way. And the whole, you know, the groupthink elements and all these, you know, uh, the bystander effect. And you could say any number of, like, vocabulary terms, but it's so cool. It's like, why did all of this happen? And I like asking why, of course. No, I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't ask that question, but I just think when you're reading The Crucible, you can't speculate on the... It's harder to speculate on the actual circumstances Mm -hmm. of the actual situation because the characters are completely are characterized completely differently. Yes, and it's fictional and all of that, of course, which I understand. Um, but I just I just love it. I actually wrote a couple of um, short fiction stories based on The Crucible as, you know, creative writing assignments or whatever. Really? I did! That's did cool. I not show you them? No. Um, anyway, those are buried and lost forever. Sorry about yeah. that. But um, I just I just love The Crucible so much. I think I should I think reread it. I think the Salem Witch Trials are so fun. 
I was all, you know how you have those weird little hyper fixations about historical events as a kid. I was really into the Titanic as a child. I was really into the historical, like the, the Salem witch trials. And I was really into ancient Egypt. And those were probably why I, you know, was so irritating to my English <laughs> teachers. But, uh, the crucible. I, I, so yeah, no the context is so important for that book though. And you have to approach it with a lot of context. I think if you're gonna, yeah. So no hate on the actual crucible, just yeah. hate on how it was taught, which mm-hmm. I think is kind of your take on the metamorphosis. Yeah. Agree. Um, what your last book that you liked? My last book that I liked is a classic. This book is The Blueprint. I can't even. Ugh. Okay. Um, it's and then there were none by Agatha Christie. Yes. Oh, it's so good. Um, she was like my first. This one, I feel like you can't spoil it because I haven't read it yet. I will not spoil okay. it. I really won't. I, I, I have to think super hard about it if I'm going to spoil it because. It's so complex. It's that one of those mysteries. But it's so simple, and you're like, of course it was this all along. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, it's gorgeous. Anyway, this was the blueprint. I went through a phase in high school where I was like, I am so into these Agatha Christie books, I don't know why. And I would go to the library, the little city library, like after school or during my breaks from from classes or whatever, because also I cut class quite a bit, but... um I would go to the library and just walk out with a stack of, like, 15 Agatha Christie novels. And I would, like, crunch through them, like, so quickly because I just thought they were so interesting. And she was so good at what she did. And she's so cool. I just want to be like her. Anyway, um, this book is absolutely... It's so good. It's a case of whodunit, but there's 12 suspects and they're all equally suspicious. And they slowly got get start, you know, they get picked off one by one. I remember the first what time I read this. What are the circumstances of this? Yeah. Where is it? Because I know, you know, Murder on the, or- on mm-hmm. the Orient Express, self-explanatory in right. the title. But where is, and then they were none. So I actually probably couldn't tell you. I mean, it's, you know, early 20th century. And they all get these letters to go to, like, this house. Like, that's kind of up. Oh, okay. Like, but it's it's not like the, up, not upstate. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. I yeah. am so sorry that I'm not like, like in the familiar. countryside or whatever. Yeah, yes, yeah. it's very isolated. Um, they get these like mysterious letters, um, and they all get there, and they all kind of start talking and realizing like none of them really like each other. They all have secrets, of course, um, and they all kind of realize that they're all there for a different reason. They're like, oh well, the owner of this house told me to come here for because we wanted to talk about this or I was, I was summoned here for this or I was summoned here to be like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the owner of the house still Suspicious. hasn't shown up. Yes. And he still hasn't shown up kind of throughout this book and throughout, you know, they sit down, they have dinner, they wake up the next morning. He's still not there. They, they keep getting messages from like the butler and the housekeeper at this house that are like, I'm so sorry. Like the, 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 the gentleman is like running late or whatever. Um, which seems weird now, but I think, you know, historically it wasn't that weird. Yeah. Um, Anyway, and then they start dying, and it's Ooh. very suspicious, and who's killing them, and who's next. I remember the first time I read this, it was, um, I had a notebook out, and I wrote down every single person, and I wrote down what they were hiding, like, I wrote down, I, I was, like, keeping a list, like. <laughs> this is such a main character thing for you to do. <laughs> you could have, like, I could have put together, like, a little billboard, like, a, a corkboard, and, like, <laughs> put the red string connecting yeah. everything, and, like been just buried in my room for weeks and weeks trying to solve this uh, book but then I just read it too quickly but I have I still have those original notes that I was taking about this book because it was so That's fun so cute baby Rachel reading <laughs> it was so fun to dissect and it is so satisfying the conclusion is incredible also real quick plug there is a BCC BCC BBC series um 
I think it's like a handful of episodes that are like it's it's like cinema quality. It's really really good. Um, and all the actors are very attractive, if that makes you feel better. Um, but it is, it's, like, such a good retelling. I think the ending is, like, very, very, very slightly different. But, um, no, it's not, actually. Anyway, it's haunting. It is haunting. You really did choose, we actually... I also chose Halloween ones. Oh, I love it. Halloween Wait, classics. Halloween, Halloween classics, except for my last one isn't Halloween. Oh, well, that's all right. But Why would really you say good. that then? Sorry. <laughs> no, just like, I mean, The Crucible is spooky. Wuthering Heights is spooky. Frankenstein is spooky. Metamorphosis. Maybe classics are just spooky. Yeah. Also, I just think the ones that are like. Maybe the I human mean, condition is just spooky. What about that? That is true. <laughs> that is undeniable. Also, I mean, I'm kind of saving some of my actual favorite... Like, my actual favorite classics are just anything oh, like Jane Austen. Oh, we'll talk about more classics, of course. Yes. And I'm saving Jane Austen for, like, a whole discussion that we're going to have. Yeah. Anyways. That'll be fun. That I have envisioned for many years. Uh-huh. It will, it will happen one day. I almost feel scared the way you're <laughs> looking at me. <laughs> um, yeah. My eyes are kind of glinting in the, the <laughs> Yeah, night. they are. Yeah. They are. <laughs> Um, What's your last one? My last one is North and South by Elizabeth Gaskell. Oh, love it. I love North and South. Uh, and it's it's a classic, but it's not as well known as it should be. Because it's sort of... It sort of gets tossed in with other Victorian literature. Because Elizabeth Gaskell was actually... She was writing this for... Uh, whatever magazine it was that Charles Dickens published. Oh, right. It was and published, like, serially, right? It was published serially, and the ending is actually, like, kind of rushed because Charles Dickens was like, this is too long, get it over with. Which, like, Mr. Charles Dickens does not tell people that <laughs> something is too long, they should oh, get it please. over with. Mr. I get paid by the word. Except he does because he's like, oh, this is just, like, a woman's story or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it's actually so good. Elizabeth Gaskell was uh, the wife of a Unitarian minister in industrial Manchester, Mm-hmm. And she was in, so intrigued by the life of the working class. And she actually wrote another book that's like, actually, <laughs> you're making a face. I'm sorry for the historical background. No, I'm loving it. Um, I think it's so fun to hear you talk about it. She wrote a book previously called Mary Barton that was about a working class girl. And then all of her aristocratic friends were kind of like, how dare you take the side of this working class girl? <laughs> so she kind of wrote North and South to be like, well, I don't hate all rich people. <laughs> But not like, all billionaires. <laughs> yeah. So not all railroad money. <laughs> um so she writes North and South and it's the story of a a young woman from the south of England whose father is a minister but her father has a faith crisis decides that he can no longer be a minister so he's moving them to an industrial town manufacturing town in the north of England where she meets uh, Mr. Thornton, Thornton mm-hmm. who is also played by Richard Armitage. Whoa! Yeah, the Richard Armitage cinematic universe. He's the in the Crucible, the the tape, the like recording of the yeah. play, and then he is Mr. Thornton in North and South, the BBC miniseries, which is also excellent. Hold on now. What if he was also in and then there were none? I honestly couldn't tell you. I watched it a really long time ago. I don't we'll have know. To go, well, conspiracy theory. We'll have to go investigate. No, I don't think he was. Okay. Well, anyways, we <laughs> love him. He's He's been in some good stuff. Um, he's a talented man. Indeed. Uh, anyways, so Mr. Thornton and there's a slow burn enemies to romance between these two. Or, wait, what did I say? Enemies to Enemies, enemies to, to lovers. lovers. Yeah. Oh, and it's so good because he is a working class man who has risen up to become the owner of a fact of a textile mm-hmm. mill. She is aristocratic and also very 
you know, she's the classic Victorian lady. Kind of old. No, I mean, she's like a young woman, but she's... uh, No, I know, but like the the old ways. Yeah, like old-timey progressive, like she's going out and giving to the poor workers Mm -hmm. when they're on a strike and like trying to be charitable. And so they, they have like fundamentally different ideas about how how charity and work should function, how how people should live their lives, by what values. Mm-hmm. But the resolution is, is really satisfying. And it's, it's like, it's the same dynamics as Pride and Prejudice. I feel like there's equal tension between the two of them, the differences, the ways that they respect, but also frustrate each other. Mm-hmm. But also it's, in Pride and Prejudice... I think that the the class conflict is very immediate and it's it's very much between these two families but in North and South it's the romance is is painted on a broader a broader canvas of civil unrest, strike, poverty and so the romance is really satisfying as you see political events unfold in the city. Mm. So it's it's really good and it's it's such a beautiful portrait of England in the 1850s, 1860s. And I think that it's still relevant today. Oh, I'm sure. Because you know, it's about like it is is it moral to be rich and what what obligations do rich people have? Mm-hmm. And you know, everyone's minds change over the course of the of the novel. So it's really compelling, it's really good and the romance is just so, uh, it's it's just so well done, and I love it. So, anyways, those are my thoughts on North and South, and I love that. I think I, everyone should read it. I will say, um, I have, my, I have memories of this book. I never read it, but I remember one time we were spending New Year's Day at your house for some reason, mm-hmm. and you said you should read this book, and I said okay, fine, which means no. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but we were kind of tired and we had, I don't know. I mean, obviously we stayed up late the night before. I don't remember what we were doing, but I remember you were just like, okay, I'll read it to you. <laughs> so really you read me North and South in your, you know, front room while I just like laid on the couch. On oh my gosh. Day. I remember that. That was weird. That was so fun. Yeah, that was great. Anyway, it's really good. It is a really good book. So grab a friend and force them to lay down on your couch and read it to them. It's, yeah. Okay. That was a great time. Wow. You're such a good friend. You just let me read this book to you. <laughs> You're a great friend for reading to me. Thank you. <laughs> I still, you should revisit it. I will. I think I will. But also the, I mini, will say the, the miniseries holds up. So if you want to watch that, I would watch it with you. Mm. And it's really good. And I would not like be offended. BBC miniseries marathon. We'll watch that one. And then, and then there were none. Okay. That'd be fun. Deal. Um... That sounds great. Honestly, and I will say the the best romances don't exist in a vacuum, right? There's always some other broader, like, story going on. And it's like, oh, this romance in the context of this, which I yeah. think is really good. Um, anyway, those are our kind of spooky Halloween classics. And North and South. And North and South, besides that. Five spooky ones and one really good one. Yeah, just classic. <laughs> um, I think that's it. I want to go get ice cream. You want to come? Yes. Okay. <laughs>